Every day the surface dwellers grow stronger. They have guardians with powers. I say we break the seal on the Atlantean war plans. Our only hope for peaceful existence with the surface dwellers is with the one who is of both worlds. My other son. What are you? I wish I knew, pal. They will destroy this planet and take Atlantis with it. We must protect our people and attack! This is genocide. Billions will die. Find Arthur Curry. Fast. Is Atlantis everything you dreamed of, brother? This is your birthright, Arthur. Amen. Join me, and we will bridge those worlds in peace. Kill the humans! Attack! I will cleanse the serpent! Ah! This is war! He needs a code name. Well, online they're calling him Aquaman. Hate that. Aquaman it is. Hey everybody, this is the Timmy Time in the Bat Fan Revolution podcast. Did I get that right? You got it right. Two weeks in a row now, or two episodes in a row now. Timmy <laughs> Time in the Bat Fan. Yeah, Timmy Time in the Bat Fan Revolution. It'll be rolling podcast. off your tongue by the next episode. <laughs> it, something doesn't sound right though. That's why I paused because it's, it's something related to sound right when I. Oh wait, before I say that, this podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. Oh, I think you've read the 59 second mark. <laughs> oh. oh man, that was like the a last second Hail Mary pass. <laughs> or it's like a bomb's about to go off and you only have like five seconds left and you just barely set it in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't even have the one anymore. You have like the point yeah. <laughs> two, three or whatever. Okay. Whew. At least we got it done though. It's done. We don't have to worry about it for the rest of the episode. Okay. The name, the title. But we didn't did say we the episode it, number yet. Did we get it done in time? Well, I'll say it right now. I wasn't timing, so we'll say we were. <laughs> okay. I should just have a stopwatch going now every time. Yeah, yeah. Know. Just to make sure that we get it in time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. Something sounded off when I said it. Something, I mean, it was seems it because, like... Was it because of the episode number? Because I haven't said that yet. No, no, it's not that. It's Timmy Time and the Bad Fan Revolution. Yeah. That's it? That's it. Oh, I thought we added some stuff to it. Well, you did say podcast, but that's just kind of implied in the title, so I can't fault you for that. I mean, I added podcast because I thought something was mi- – or I missed something. No, that's it. No. <laughs> well, anyway, this is episode number 75 of this uh, oh, ongoing see, now show. Now you it. Dang it, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> episode 76, there sorry. You know. 76 of our ongoing television show <laughs> that we do. That's next. My name is Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Tim. You're leaving us in all in suspense. Just <laughs> I replied to that. Just in case we forgot what your name was. So. <laughs>
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. I mean, it's it's like just in case you know somebody forgot my name, or if we have a new listener that's listening to the, to this episode particularly. If you're if you're new to this this show, then thanks for listening, man or woman, because it's always good to have more listeners. That's for sure. And maybe they were listening to the intro. Like, man, that's such a great voice. I just can't wait to find out this person's name. What is it? And then you get that long pause and you just make them wait and wait that much longer. <laughs> it's like our worst intro <laughs> in the history of this podcast. But that's okay because we don't claim to be the best. In fact, we're kind of on the bottom rung there. <laughs> if uh, you know what I mean. But yeah, this is our uh, this is our podcast, and uh, we're we're doing it. And it's uh, Friday night for Tim and Friday afternoon for me, which means we're total losers. <laughs> and we and love Batman. There's nothing I'd rather be doing on a Friday night than talking <laughs> Batman with you, Dane. Oh, I feel so special yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so this is our podcast. So let's uh, do our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary, which we do every episode. So if you're new to this podcast, go back 30 episodes. And listen to that one minute of each episode, and you'll never hear analysis like we do, like you, like the ones we give at our minute by minute podcast. I never hear episode. such in depth analysis of this movie. So, with that said, we're going from minute thirty to thirty-one. We're finally done with uh, the first half of the first hour of this movie. <laughs> hey, it's a pretty big step right now. This is a momentous occasion. Yeah, so we only have like an hour and 45 minutes left, so 145 episodes more, yeah. <laughs> which is which is really good. I mean, we've done a minute each podcast, so we've done at least 30 podcasts. Yep, and I'll, everyone who doubted us saying that we wouldn't last five <laughs> minutes into this thing or five episodes, look where yeah, we are now. Yeah, Corbin. Yeah. <laughs> and everything. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, so yeah, we're going from minute thirty to thirty-one. So just queue up your your DVD or your Blu-ray or your um, beta tape or your. Um... That's what I'm watching it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm watching it on Laserdisc, Tim. Oh. <laughs> In fact, no, 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 no. I'm setting up my own projector right now. <laughs> that would actually be a cool way to watch it, though, on a projector. Yeah, but it'd be it, it'd be so time-consuming because. You gotta set up the projector. You gotta oil all the, you know, wheels and. Gotta worry about it catching on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you gotta wipe down the, the lens, and you gotta find a white wall, that's far enough away. Yeah. <laughs> where your projector is. So. Yeah, we'll just stick to the beta and laser disc formats. Yeah, yeah, those dead formats. <laughs> so yeah, minute thirty to thirty-one. So Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So I'm gonna give the countdown. In three, two, one, hit play. Let's see if we can make it out of Bruce's living room in this <laughs> episode. We've been there for the last five, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like the scene coming up where, I mean, it's short, but... Oh, we've laughed. Oh, there it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I like the scene where he's at the doctor's office. I mean, it, yeah. It's kind of intended for a joke, but I think it's so cool, dude, with like... Listening to all the things that he's went to as Batman. Yeah, like no cartilage. Yeah. <laughs> it is like face of surprise when he's terrorized. Like, oh, really? <laughs> it's weird how he just jumps out after this. Yeah. Too much. 
Yeah. I will say my one nitpick in this thing, I just like how it was edited, where you see him jump down and automatically we're seeing him talking to Gordon from the what we saw on the first teaser trailer. I just I thought he could have like show him entering there instead of just like he's already sitting there and they're having that conversation. But Yeah, oh man. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's maybe it's a small nitpick, but I don't know. Some about that just bugged me a little bit, but yeah, but I mean, it, I don't know. To to me, it would kind of look weird because you know you, you have a guy hanging from a window on a line, trying to go into another window. Yeah, I think and maybe it's just I, awkward. I wanted to see uh, Gordon's like reaction when he saw that he's in there. Like, was he had a like big surprise on his face or? Like, mm. I don't know, I just wanted to see what his reaction was when he saw that. Even though he wasn't in the suit, he knew that was Batman there. Maybe he was just sleeping and he woke up. Yeah, that He's could like, be oh. it too, yeah. <laughs> you could see him get real scared. So you, you would have want, wanted to see that then? Maybe that's why he was breathing so heavily in that scene. He was so scared. <laughs> he needed more oxygen. He needed the oxygen mask. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's our, that's our commentary for this episode. So only 140... Four more to go. Yeah, we'll round it off to there. It sounds about right. Yeah. Either way, it's yeah. a lot. Even even though it's still a big milestone. Let's give ourselves a round of applause. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and we are going to be doing the credits. So. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, they're an important part of the movie. <laughs> we can see how many people in there who worked on the film are named Dane or Tim. <laughs> we can keep count of that. Well, I'm sure a lot of people named Tim worked on that movie, but Dane, I don't know, because... <laughs> That's kind of a rare name. Yeah, you never know though. It's could yeah. be somewhere there. Yeah, you're right. So, um, yeah, we can move on to our feature topic. And Tim, why don't you tell them about our feature topic? Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the Justice League: Throne of Atlantis movie that just came out this week on Blu-ray, but it's been out for digital download, I think, two weeks. So the latest DC animated movie. You know how much I love these Danes. So <laughs> this one I was actually really, really looking forward to because I really love the Throne of Atlantis comic that came out a few years ago. You read that one, right? No, I did not. Oh, yeah, I did. I did, yeah. Yeah, it was a few years ago. It was the crossover yeah, with uh, Aquaman and Justice League. Yeah, and it was even went into a few of the Batman books, too. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I loved that comic story. And then when the movie got announced, like kind of knew it beforehand because they were saying how Justice League War was kicking off kind of their new frontier or New 52 continuity with these movies. And since Aquaman wasn't in that, it was revealed that, oh, we're saving him for his own movie. Then when it was Thorn of Atlantis, I go, okay, that's going to be cool to see that. But at the same time, curious to see how they're going to fit in Aquaman's origin there because they're going to be telling the story from the comics, which in there, Aquaman's been established already. So... It wasn't like they were telling an origin story in that comic, but in the movie they were. So general first impressions after I saw it, got to be honest here, I couldn't help but feel a little disappointed with it. And it's mainly because they were trying, I think they're trying to do too much in like the allowed 76 minutes or so they had with this movie. And I really think they should have, would have been better if it was either they just focused on straight on Aquaman origin story and not do the Throne of Atlantis or do kind of a Throne of Atlantis thing, but don't have the Justice League in there. Or um, you do it where Aquaman's already established and they do the Throne of Atlantis story from the comics. But when they try to do both, it really didn't work in some areas. It just felt rushed in a lot of ways, especially with Aquaman and his story. He was 
you see him on the surface, he's kind of wondering his origins and where he's from and all that. And then when he gets that revealed to where he's actually like the heir to the throne of Atlantis and he discovers Atlantis and all that, it just happened really quick where you're like, I can't believe this is happening to like maybe five minutes later. Okay. I know what I got to do. I got to lead my people. I got to re like make sure we have uh, the surface world and Atlantis. We kind of work together and all this. It just seemed to happen real quickly. I mean, you can't really fault the writers and all that for that because you know, the big reason for this is because Warner home, Warner brothers and whoever's in charge of the home video department won't let them put out just an Aquaman movie where it's just Aquaman. They need to have the Justice League in there for it to sell, which, again, is a hard thing to do. You can't blame those who are working on the movie. This is knew what they had to do, and they probably did the best they could. But it just didn't work in the end as far as telling Aquaman's origin story and the Throne of Atlantis comic. So that was my first initial reaction to it. But no way am I saying it's a bad movie. I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. And I would say it is better than Son of Batman. That's still, on, unfortunately, near the bottom of my list of my favorite DC animated movies. But... Throne of Atlantis had a lot of good stuff working for it, too. I mean, the Justice League, probably since the actual Justice League animated series, I just love this inter interpretation of the group and how they interact with each other. Batman and Green Lantern, <laughs> their banter is just as good as it was in Justice League War, so I love that. And the voice cast, too. Everyone does a great job in their roles. I mean, it's pretty much the same cast from Justice League War, but they had a few differences where I think Nathan Fillion is playing Green Lantern and I want to see the Jerry O'Connell he's playing Superman on this one, but all the voice cast is perfect and that's great. It's just like the chemistry you feel between the Justice League is kind of not on quite the same level as the Justice League animated series, but I think with time and more movies, when we get uh, more stories with these characters, you'll start to get to there, get to that level where they just you just really like these versions of the characters so much so where I kind of think to myself, instead of waiting like for a movie every year to come out with them, how cool would it be to have a new Justice League TV show? And this is the version that they're giving us, but I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. But uh, the Justice League interaction is great. And when they're in it, they're not in it a lot. That kind of goes back to my point where they did, had a split time between Aquaman, Aquaman and the League. So you wish there was more of them in there, but when they are there, it's really cool. And another great thing too, the voice cast, you know, was always going to, get great voice actors for these movies when Andre Romano's working on it. And here's the cool thing about this one, Dane. We've got two Clone Wars actors <laughs> voicing in, the, in this movie. Who Matt, are they? Matt Lanter as Aquaman, mm. and then Sam Witwer as Ocean Master. And as usual... <laughs> Why is he Ocean Master? I know. When I first saw that, I was like, oh, cool, Sam Witwer's doing a DC movie. But when I saw his Ocean Master, I was like, nah, I kind of wish they would have had a more... like prominent DC character role for him instead of Ocean Master. <laughs> <laughs> but... As usual, as we know from the Clone Wars, they knocked it out of the park. Matt Lanter was great as Aquaman. He's, I mean, he doesn't have, he's a voice actor where he has a very distinct voice, so you know it's him. But at the same time, so he didn't sound too different from Anakin, but it's a voice that fit the character. And it's one where if, I think as you hear it more, and I assume he's gonna, Aquaman's going to be used in future Justice League movies, it's on that, it's that type where you, the more you hear it and the more you get used to it, you'll probably be becoming like the definitive Aquaman voice. I like how he was, even for Anakin, <laughs> when I read uh, comics and books with him, he's the voice I hear for Anakin, because you just hear so much of him. So, he did great, Sam Whitmer, I mean, what can you say about his vocal performance from what he does with Clone Wars, Darth Maul, and The Sun, and other projects that he's worked on? He really fits the perfect role as uh, Ocean Master. Someone who's a little over the top at this, in certain aspects, because he wants to be king, but as, at the same time, being a great villain, and you know he does that perfectly. So, they, they were great. Uh, Batman, Here's another 
little nitpick I had with it. Batman and the Justice League did a lot of cool stuff in the Justice League War movie, but the final confrontation or the final epic battle sequence for this movie didn't quite live up to what was already in Justice League War. For first off, like the comic did a lot better where there's a big old like tidal wave that hits uh, the East Coast and the Justice League weren't able to stop it. So as they're fighting some of the Atlanteans, a lot of the cities are flooded. But in here, we get word of that that it's going to happen, but we never actually see it. It's just kind of a normal ground battle when the Atlanteans come and attack. And another little nitpick I had, Batman is not involved in that fight at all. <laughs> it just comes at the very end. It just uh, kind of gets a plan how to stop Ocean Master right there. So like, as I was watching the movie, I was just waiting okay, when are we going to see Batman do some cool action stuff? And it never really happened. <laughs> he had some cool moments in the middle of it where Green Lantern tries to get him to go to a Justice League meeting, which was funny. But yeah, the action sequences, they were cool. I'm not going to say they weren't good, but just not quite not quite on the same level as Justice League War, which I thought was had some really cool stuff. But Green Lantern did probably have the best construct he'd ever did <laughs> in these movies so far at the end. It was a really cool, don't want to spoil it because... For those who haven't seen it yet and watch it, you'll get a big kick out of it. It was real funny. So, yeah, those little nitpicks, well, I shouldn't say little, the big one, that's pretty big with the stories being a little rushed, but action nitpicks aside, um, it's still, like I said, an enjoyable movie. I'd probably watch it a few more times. It's still entertaining with the Justice League. It's a great interpretation of them. But at the at the end of the day, it's one of those things where uh, you know it could have been better if they had either had more time to create an origin story as well as an invasion story or if they just could have focused on one or the other i think that's the biggest hindrance to it so uh if i had to give it a score i'd probably go ahead and give it a three out of five still a lot of solid action characters are great the voice acting is great just the story just didn't really uh, mesh in the way that you thought wanted to with an aquaman and the justice league story kind of coming together so that's what kind of holds it back a little bit, but it's still solid. So yeah, three out of five, I'd still recommend it. But I will say this, it is kind of disappointing that um, the last few movies we got are kind of had me disappointed a little bit with Son of Batman and now this one, because before I pretty much love almost all of the movies that come out. I'm pretty easy to please with the DC comic animated movies. So I'd never been uh, too disappointed with them, but the like, we had Son of Batman and Assault on Arkham I really like, but Son of Batman and now this one, two movies that are pretty close to each other that I couldn't help but feel disappointed with. This, I don't want to say it makes me worried, but a little, I guess, surprised that this is happening after these movies have been coming out for uh, eight years now, since 2007. So to have that many movies come out, for me anyway, liking pretty much all of them, and now these two so close together, not not being my favorite, just well, hopefully the, this trend doesn't continue and they'll go back to being more this consistent for me, in my opinion, anyway, with these movies. But I will say I'm really super excited for Batman versus Robin. <laughs> the featurette that was on the Blu-ray just got me more pumped for that and seeing the Court of Owls. I know it's going to be different. I know going into that, it's going to be totally different than what we know in the original Court of Owls story. So I'll be prepared for, for whatever changes they have there. But I'm just excited to see the Court of Owls be Brian's animation because they look awesome and I can't wait for it. So yeah, that's my review of Justice League Throne of Atlantis. I would still recommend it, but can't. I would say just have your expectations in check if you think this is going to be like the next greatest DC animated movie. <laughs> yeah, you see, I'm so glad that I always wait for your review. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, hey, you gave a good review and 
Uh, I'm not. Um, I can save my money now. Yeah, yeah. Knowing you, Dane, I think this would be one that you probably wouldn't love like too much. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because I don't want to make that mistake, and then you you kind of stuck with a movie. I hate that feeling when like you, you buy a movie and it's like, you know, it's what I like and blah blah, blah. and then it sucks, and you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah. But like I said, I didn't have that, oh, this movie sucks feeling. Just disappointed, yeah. like expecting something better. It just makes me think where it's like, ah, if only they didn't have to rely on the name brand of Justice League. Because like, I know they would have done a really cool Aquaman origin story if they didn't have to have been show with the different members of the Justice League. Or even being disappointed. I mean, it sounds like you're really disappointed, mm-hmm. but you, you like some of it. But even feeling disappointment, it's like, uh, yeah, I I kind of feel like I want my money back a little bit. And plus, too, it's that weird thing when you know it's being adapted from a comic that you really like, and there's certain moments that you're hoping you see in there but don't. And there are certain people that might not be a big issue because they're expecting it to just be an, an adaption that might be different. But yeah, for me, because they do a really good job of even when they do change certain things from stories they adapt, they always make sure they have those like standout epic moments that are from the comic. And just because they were telling an origin story for Aquaman, I, they couldn't necessarily do that. So certain things were left out. Because in the comic, there's a great moment where Aquaman comes to Batman because like the, he even had like a contingency plan against the surface world if he never needed to attack. He knew he'd have to take out Batman first. And because when uh, Orm or Ocean Master starts attacking in the comics, he knew he'd target Batman first because he has his Aquaman's original plan. So Aquaman kind of went to Batman first to be there in case he gets attacked, and of course that's what happened. But since Aquaman wasn't established in this movie, I never got that scene. And that's always been one of my favorites from that comic. So stuff, certain things like that were just couldn't help but shake that disappointed feeling. But I'm oh. sure... I'm sure once the Aquaman movie comes out in a few years, maybe then he'll get his own movie, animated <laughs> movie, without Justice League being in there. Well, hopefully. But, uh, good. At, le- at least I can save my money. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it's, like, real cheap or you see it in the bargain yeah. or something for, like, five bucks, I'd say get it. <laughs> or if I have to go buy a bra or something. Yeah. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Just put a 311 CD in there, too. <laughs> but well, Thank you. Uh, did put the word out to get some feedback from the listeners, and we got a couple of responses. First Good. off, we got an email from uh, Andy from the Flash Podcast. Which, uh, by the way, I want to give a quick shout out because Andy has an upcoming podcast coming out for the new Supergirl uh, TV show set to come out next or later this year, actually. It's called a Supergirl Radio, so. Uh, be sure to check that out because Andy's Flash podcast is really good if you like The Flash. So hopefully Supergirl will be as good as The Flash and you'd want to definitely check out the podcast for that. So it's Supergirl Radio. So, But as far as his thoughts on Justice League Throne of Atlantis, he says, Greeting Batmanites. While having a few hiccups with these new films, I love that the new DC animated film universe is now mostly a shared universe so that there is actually a continuity. As someone that digs the new 52 stuff, I like seeing certain arcs getting adapted into films. I have always been a supporter of the water dude, so seeing Aquaman getting a lot of focus is making me happy. Batlanter was a great choice to voice Aquaman, and for anyone that still doesn't see the coolness of this character, watch this film or read Jeff John's run on Aquaman in the new 52. I enjoyed the movie for the most part. I sort of dig the new style of animation. It feels very gritty, if you know what I mean, and the voice acting is solid, especially Nathan Fillion, because, well, do I have to explain that one? Spoiler alert, he says, it's, he's flawless. <laughs> yeah, he really is, does own that role of Green Lantern. 
And he goes on to say, while I don't have any issues per se with the film, I'm bothered by the fact that we are still only getting uh, Justice League and Batman films in the new animated universe. Why isn't there a Superman, Flash, or Wonder Woman animated movie in the works? I'm sure that we'll get some announcements in the next couple of major comic conventions, so hopefully these feelings that I have will go away. I especially want a Flash animated movie. I'm just saying. Give up the great podcast, my fellow DC brothers, and may the Bat Force be with you all. Too much? <laughs> no. Saying may the Bat Force be with you is perfect. <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying too, he brings up this point of wanting to see just standalone Flash movies and Wonder Woman's. And yeah, he brings up a good thing with Superman because before he always had his own movies uh, before too. But the last two years for 2014 and now this year, he doesn't have one scheduled. He's just part of the Justice League. It's Batman's the only one who has his own solo movie. So definitely agree that's a little disappointing. And for the foreseeable future, I think until their live action movies come out, they hopefully get more popular because of that. If we were going to see a Flash, Wonder Woman, or another Aquaman story, it's going to be with Justice League, like they did with this one, and like they did with Flashpoint, where that was a Flash-centric story, but yet it was still set around the Justice League. So it's all so they can sell those movies. <laughs> because I think the Wonder Woman, while that's regarded as one of their best animated movies, it didn't really sell that great. And Warner Brothers had to panic, okay, that's it. No more superhero movies unless it's Superman or Batman and Justice League. And Green Lantern, they only did it because they tried to tie it in with the movie. And then when that flopped, we didn't get any more Green Lantern movies either. So it's disappointing. <laughs> but at the same it's time, funny that you say that because I think every time you say that, your brother dies a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're – or he at least sheds a tear. Yeah, he sheds a tear. <laughs> uh, disappointing though. But I share your sentiments, Andy. But then we got on Facebook, Rob sent in his thoughts, and he actually really liked it, more so than, than me. So <laughs> he says, I thought the movie was great. Right now, it's one of my favorite DC animated movies. I think Under the Red Hood is still the tops for me. But Throne of Atlantis, I think, was better than Justice League War and better than Flashpoint and Son of Batman, even though I did like it too. Well, I'm, I'm surprised he said it's better than Flashpoint because I hold Flashpoint really high. <laughs> this one didn't reach that level. It didn't really come close to me, but... That's cool. You like that as much as that one, Rob, because I really love Flashpoint. And he says, um, in my opinion, it feels like the DC animated uh, or DC, uh, I can't even talk. DC knows it's doing its universe now. I understand that they're doing animated movie continuity, so it really doesn't bother me that some of the continuity is off in the comics. They're just using the source material to springboard the DC animated movie universe. So I'm fine with them taking a little bit of liberties here and there. Aquaman, I thought, was really good in this film. And just the whole tone and the way the characters interacted with each other, I thought was really good. Rosario Dawson and Jerry O'Connell did very well as Wonder Woman and Superman, respectively. Totally agree. And he says, I thought there was just enough Batman in the film, and I can't wait for Batman vs. Robin to come out. I bought the Blu-ray for Throne of Atlantis, and there was some behind-the-scenes footage of Batman vs. Robin, and we find out more about the Court of Owls in that movie. So, thought Throne of Atlantis was, great, was a great film, and I've already watched it three times. I highly recommend it. Yeah, so definitely agree with all the points you brought there, Rob, with the Justice League interaction being great. And yeah, Court of Owls, oh, they look so awesome. <laughs> I just can't wait. I will say, Dane, it might be worth it if uh, you just buy it for the special features to see the preview of Batman vs. Robin. <laughs> it really got yeah. bumped up for it. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially when you can probably just search it on YouTube <laughs> and find it. So yeah, that was the feedback we got for... Justice League Zone of Atlantis for the most part. I mean, Rob really liked it. Andy liked it. I 
kind of hard to believe that I'm the one who's most critical about it. Because <laughs> usually I have nothing, nothing but praise for the DC animated movie. So, I don't know. I think I'll be probably be more positive, though, when Batman vs. Robin. At least I hope. <laughs> but, yeah, Justice League Zone of Atlantis, if I had to rank it among the Justice League, I'd probably put it under, definitely under Flashpoint. And I like Justice League War a lot, so I think I'd like that one better. But I'd probably put it over, maybe over um, Crisis on Tours, if I even remember that title right. <laughs> that was one of the early Justice League movies, but the one where they go to fight the crime syndicate. Uh, that one, it was good, but some of the voice acting I really didn't like in that, especially William Baldwin as Batman. <laughs> That's like the one misstep I think Andrea Romano had with casting Batman in these movies. But anyway, that's a rant for another day. <laughs> but yeah, so I Justice League Flashpoint, and that still holds the top for me as my favorite Justice League movie. And then I'd probably put Throne of Atlantis in between that and uh, Justice League. Uh, well, Justice League War, Flashpoint, and I'd put Throne of Atlantis just under that. So, but ahead of the Crime Syndicate one. And Justice League Doom, I forgot about that one. <laughs> See, I think I like Justice League Doom better too. Yeah. So maybe. Throne of Atlantis is a little more towards the bottom as far as Justice League movie goes. Man, there has been a lot. Like I said, eight years in now, it's crazy. I just hope it lasts for another eight years and just doesn't doesn't stop. So what if this movie kills it off? Uh, Entirely. (laughs) Uh, If if one of them was going to do that, it would have been the first one, the Superman Doomsday. (laughs) So if the worst one is still the first, I think we're in pretty good shape. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Gotham has been renewed for a second season which is good news because that show is really good good news but yet are we really that surprised <laughs> i mean i wasn't when i first i was like okay it's still cool to get it officially confirmed but it was uh, still kind of like a no-brainer like okay definitely cool to know that but yeah we kind of knew probably after the first few episodes it was getting renewed for a second season but according to the showrunner he says that uh they're kept saying that while they're excited what's doing and that uh, the words they're getting from the higher ups are saying, keep doing what you're doing. And he says like, oh, we just seen the 14th episode and it just keeps getting better. So was I, when I heard that, I was like, kind of going, well, don't keep doing what you're doing. Try to improve on some of the stuff that's not working. So <laughs> I mean, while I still enjoy it and watch it every week and I uh, thoroughly entertained with it and just like, like it for the most part, there are things that I felt could be done a little better with certain stuff. So I wouldn't say keep doing what you're doing and <laughs> maybe try to improve on certain things for season two. But yeah, I'm excited to get the second season. So this, I, what they also thought of too is like, don't exhaust everything in season one. Let's save things for season two because we already got like Harvey Dent brought in here. We're getting John and Mary Grayson. We got Leslie Tompkins. We got Scarecrow coming pretty soon. So let's save a few big things for <laughs> upcoming seasons, which I'm hoping it's not the Joker for season two and never the Joker for the series, but um, yeah, just don't exhaust everything in the first few seasons. So maybe tone that down a little bit in season two where don't have too many familiar characters that we know show up already in this universe of Gotham that they're creating so far. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, they're, I think they're done introducing people. I think this was like the setup season and the next season it's going to be, you know, just more from the characters that have already been introduced. See, I'd like to believe that, but I don't think they are. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna. They can't resist using certain characters. But they have the amount they have now is the perfect amount to just continue exploring those characters. You don't 
anymore is going to get a little crowded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say because I mean, there's a lot of characters in in um in Gotham and Ivy for some reason. Yeah, plays an Ivy for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Bruce hasn't been like his. He just came back in this past episode from this week, and like when those came back from his winter break, Bruce wasn't in for the next two. So I was like shuffling all these characters. <laughs> or sometimes you like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that character was introduced here. Not necessarily Bruce, but like you said, Poison Ivy. Like you said, oh yeah, I forgot she was introduced. There she is. <laughs> so, yeah. But at least um, this, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no you. You go ahead. I was just going to say that the Red Hood is going to come to Gotham. <laughs> yeah, it was funny to say, because as we're saying, we hope that's it. No, not for this season. We still got one more. <laughs> Red Hood. But this is something I think could be pretty cool, though, where it's the question is, is it going to be, you know, the Joker Red Hood, or is it going to be the Red Hood gang that was kind of introduced in Scott Snyder's story? I'd like to see the gang. I think that'd be really cool. And maybe that can be like a lingering thread throughout the course of several seasons. Because, you know, the Red Hood lore, there's been several characters or people to don that identity that, like, certain organizations or crime bosses would use people disguised as the Red Hood. So it could be interesting. Maybe in this season we get a Red Hood, not necessarily the Joker, but maybe, like, season three or something, we skip a season, then another one pops up, but yet it's different. And maybe they give a few. And, uh, yeah, see, no, I don't even want to do that, where maybe one of them will end up being the Joker. Like, no, I don't want to see Joker at all, because I want him to be the same, around the same age as Bruce. So he can't be this much older than him, at least. For me, anyway, I don't want to see that. So kind of hoping it's just some random person who's donning the red hood persona <laughs> this, this episode. Anyway. Come on, Tim. Come on, Tim. You know it's going to be uh, Joker. I know, but I don't want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> or the man who's going to become Joker. You know it's going to be him. Uh, I don't know. What would you rather see, the Red Hood gang or like just one Red Hood right now for this uh, episode that he's going to be in this season? Red Hood, not the gang. <laughs> because, like we've said, they've introduced so many people that I think it's enough. Mm. It could be, well, you see, they have, they already have a big old mob element for this season. I would, like a Red Hood game would kind of be a little too much like another gang they have to deal with so maybe if the mob element gets toned down into the second season and they have to deal with just the red hood gang that could be something that i think will work a little better but for season one anyway we've got to deal with the whole fish mooney falcone and sal maroney <laughs> mob issues going on right now because it's getting pretty intense amongst <laughs> those groups are you caught up at all no i'm still like a episode behind i think okay yeah yeah, so I'm not caught up yet. Things are going down <laughs> in the yeah. mob front, that's for sure. Something with like Fish Mooney and so, something. Yeah, it's definitely involved in what's going on these last few episodes. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've only seen it on Twitter, so. <laughs> Have you been spoiled yet, though? No, no, no. Okay. When she dies? No. Okay. You can tell me, Tim. It's okay. Well, there's no need to, though. <laughs> I'll let you see. <sighs> all right, all right. Um, but, yeah, spe uh, speaking of people appearing in other things, Batman may appear in the Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, this is another thing where it's like you weren't sure if it was going to happen, but yet it makes 
total sense, especially if Warner Brothers trying to build their DC movie universe. And I really hope this is true. I mean, because how cool would that be? Where even if it's a small scene or even an after credit scene, I think would be cool. You got the Joker in there. It makes perfect sense to think that Batman will be evolved or mentioned in some way. I think there's been reports too where it might be like a video monitor that someone's looking at where they see Batman, maybe like an interrogation thing with the Joker. But then other reports are saying, um, the one I read from was at Forbes, where the act Batman or Ben Affleck as Batman may have an actual scene that will be in the movie. I'm kind of hoping for that because that'd be really cool. If we get like the last scene or end credit scene can be Batman and the Joker interacting in some way. I mean, how cool would that be to <laughs> end the movie experience while you're watching the Suicide Squad? Where the last thing you see of the movie is Batman and Joker and then setting up for this solo movie. I mean, to me, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> and I don't know. I guess I'm not as excited as you are about it because really, yeah, I'm just thinking like, I don't know. Maybe it's a tease or whatever mm. to to have them in there. So, so you know, so you tease that uh, 2018 movie. Is it? They haven't remember. They don't even set a date for a Batman or Superman movie yet. So. Oh yeah, but they said it was going to be before 2020. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> It'll be coming out December thirty first, twenty nineteen. Um. So. So yeah. Like. I don't know. I. I just think he should. Not be in the Suicide Squad movie and just stick to like the, the big movies like the Batman versus Superman or, the eventual Batman movie or the Justice League movie or whatever. See, I'd be agreeing with you if. He was going to be a central character for the movie. I think uh, like he's kind of just being shoehorned in there. But if he's just like one quick scene, I think it's just a great way to have all the movies connect with each other. And I think there's like a part of the report too, where, like I mentioned, where it might be setting up something for uh, the next movie, which for the solo Batman movie, which uh, word is it might be taking more inspiration from uh, the Dark Knight Returns, at least that final confrontation uh, Joker and Batman have, because you know. Batman's not young in this, and I'm assuming Joker's not going to be that young, so maybe we will see that final Joker-Batman confrontation, which if we do get that in the Batman movie, I think that'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think the possibilities that this little cameo can set up is pretty cool. So, again, we'll have to... All this is hinging on Batman v Superman, so <laughs> it could be that thing where if it doesn't work, then maybe no one's going to be excited for Batman to be in Suicide Squad, <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. I'm pretty confident. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a good decision, but well, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because, we'll come back to this in two years. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's kind of like a thing where it's like, if, if you're just going to use him for a small part, then why use him at all? Because he's Batman. Yeah, and it could be, I mean... To me, I'm looking at it, it's just a cool thing for fans, but from a studio standpoint, where it gets out that Batman's in a Suicide Squad movie, it's going to get more people to see it, which is part of the reason why they have Joker in there in the first place. So, I mean, on, yeah. from their point of view, it's like a win-win. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Joker's in there, so, I mean, you could kind of see that Batman was going to be in there. Yeah. I mean, at least I assume he's going to be mentioned, but to have him in it, I think it's like that little extra step for me anyway gets me more excited for the movie. Like I said, it can't even it could even be yeah. a credit scene like Marvel does. That would be enough for me. All right. 
Well, um, there's going to be new Batman and Justice League animated projects coming based off current toy lines. So, Tim, I know you're excited off of it, uh, for this. Well, <laughs> excited in a way that it's cool more animated stuff's coming, but this is kind of makes me sad in a way, too, because this looks like the new way Warner Brothers is going to be creating animated content, and which means we're not going to be getting shows like Young Justice, Beware the Batman, Green Lantern, the animated series, and all their other past uh, animated shows that we've loved over the years, because we all know the stories with Young Justice and Green Lantern and Beware the Batman. Toys didn't sell, so the shows ended. And it looks like instead of spending the money to produce new animated series, they're just going to be doing animated or online shorts. And for Batman anyway, it's going to be some movies are going to be coming out. But yeah, it just makes me sad that just like the new era of animation for Warner Brothers anyway is going to be this way and not TV shows anymore, which uh, it's going to be hoping. <laughs> it seems like it's going to be a lost art, which I'm hoping is not going to be the case, but it looks like it's heading towards that direction. But when you look at these new projects that they announced, it's basically just going to be, I mean, they're based off current toy lines right now, Batman Unlimited, and then I think the other one's called like the, just, the Super Friends. So you know right away when you see the design, it's for kids. This is going to be aimed towards kids, which, hey, anything that gets new young bat or fans or kids into to becoming Batman, ah, I'm getting tongue-tied all over again. <laughs> young kids becoming Batman or DC comic character fans, is that's great in my book. So not everything can be uh, geared towards us older fans. So as long as this creates some new fans, that's going to be cool. But for someone like us, Dane, I don't think this is going to be something that <laughs> we'll be getting too much out of. Because just when you look at the designs, you know they're geared toward young kids. And even the Justice League one is like preschool age. So <laughs> um, probably not going to be our age group who's going to get the most out of this series. And one thing that's cool, though, about the Batman Unlimited, they're bringing in Red Robin <laughs> to be as part of this. So it's great that Tim Drake's finally going to be in there, but not a big fan of the design. When you look at the logos or the characters that are on the logos, the Nightwing, Red Robin, Batman, Green Arrow, and Flash, Nightwing's costume doesn't look great. And Red Robin, I mean, it's okay for the most part, but for his first animated appearance, <laughs> not probably what we were hoping for. So, I mean, it's cool that they're doing this, but at the same time, I'm not super excited for it, but definitely going to check it out. I mean, what kind of Batman fan would I be if I at least don't check it out? <laughs> Might get some enjoyment out of it still. So we'll see how far Warner Brothers and DC are going to go with this. But at the same time... Rob. It's, it's you and Rob and, and those toys, man. <laughs> they just love those things. Well, I, I don't collect toys. I haven't collected toys in years. But that's, yeah. if it gives us some new animated series... <laughs> I'm yeah. Well, so that's the problem. I didn't buy the toys. That's probably why some of the shows got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was part of the problem. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Tim, you were the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the reason Young Justice got canceled. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that's all of our news, right? Well, um, no, I got one more thing. Oh. As we're oh, still yeah, on the subject of toys. Yeah. The new Batman the animated series line that's been coming out. They just announced the next wave for the fall. And finally, the one I've been waiting for. The new redesigned Scarecrow figure is coming out later this fall, and I, I can't wait for this one to come out. <laughs> I've said it time and time again, the Scarecrow is like my definitive version of the character. By his characteristics, his voice, and his design, it's like the creepiest design ever. And to finally get an action figure for it, it's like almost after 20 years almost <laughs> when this show came out in 97. So 18 years ago, I've been waiting for a toy, and now I'm finally getting it. It looks cool, but I will say... 
it's kind of weird because the scarecrow in the show was always in the shadows. His face was like darkly lit. And this one is bright. You can see him real clear. So I kind of like the more shadowy look of the character in the show, but it was probably would have been hard to capture that. But still, I just love that design and just super excited. I'm going to have that figure. It just go perfectly with my other toys on my computer display. So <laughs> I can't wait for this one to come out. Had to throw it in there because I've been waiting for this one. You and those toys, Tim. So I said I don't collect toys too much anymore. <laughs> this one I'm definitely getting, though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we can uh, do some, uh, or now that that's done, we can do some uh, conversation with Alex and listener feedback. So, Tim, are you ready for that? Let's do Alex it. has a long email. It's our favorite part of the show, so I'm all set. <laughs> He says, "Hey, Timmy, time revolutionizing, yeah, revolutionizing bad guys, something." <laughs> maybe that's what got you confused on the intro with our name. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe that should be our new name, Timmy, time revolutionizing bad guys, something. <laughs> next year, next year. Yeah. Uh, he says, "You guys rock." I completely agree with Tim's list for new readers. As much as I love the Dark Knight Returns in Year One, I agree with Dane that they might not be the best place. For new readers, if you are trying to get into Batman's character, a lot of their impact is reliant of your knowledge of Batman's history. But if you're pretty familiar with the universe, I'd say go for it. They're both my favorite Batman stories, depending on what kind of Batman listeners, on what kind of Batman listeners are looking for. There we go. They may not care for modern stories. Personally, stuff like Grant Morrison's run and Snyder's Joker, written. Like an evil Batmite is too silly for me. Recently, a lot of comic book stuff has become too ludicrous for me. Like Dane, I prefer practicality and some semblance of plausibility. Otherwise, it becomes a bunch of adults with an arrested development running around in their pajamas. I never questioned these things, but all these new movies and TV shows made it apparent. Just take the new Ant-Man movie. He's a guy that dresses up in a costume to control ants and changes his size to fight other bug men. <laughs> I think it's a he's, little more than that. He's right. Bugman. I mean, that's essentially what it is. Uh, there's going to be more to it, trust me. Yeah, I guess so. But, heck, the, the X-Men make no sense. What happened to their chromosomes that allowed one of them to be born with the power to teleport, shoot optic blasts from another dimension, or go back in time? At least with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the mutation is artificially created. By the way, I really liked X-Men... Um, Days of Future Past? Yeah, Days of Future oh, Past. That's cool. what it is. <laughs> yeah, it was it's a pretty good movie, yeah. man. Um, Can't wait for the next one, too. Apocalypse. Yeah, but... I think that movie suffers from what uh, First Class and the other two, yeah, the other two um, X main X Men movies, X Two and X Three, suffer from. Which was? So you have like Wolverine, of course. You have Storm. You have uh, Cyclops. You have whoever else, right? Okay. But then you have those other characters. Like uh, in Days of Future Past, you have uh, Professor X, Magneto. You have Storm there for some reason. She doesn't have. She only has like two lines in the whole movie. And you have Wolverine who goes who goes back in time, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have all those other guys that it's like okay, it's a, it's kind of like the other X Men that you don't really care about. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of expect that going into X Men movies because there's so many of them, but not all of them are gonna yeah. <laughs> have like their some of them, most of them have their defining moment or time to shine. But you know, some are gonna be 
kind of be put on the back shelf as far as screen time. So yeah, and I'm I'm unfamiliar with um, X Men. So who is that uh, striker guy? Yeah, he was. You know, he's from X Two, correct? So he is the main villain from that movie, the military guy. Oh, so that's him when he was younger, and he has connections to Wolverine. Oh, oh, you see, I I thought he was that guy from the first one. Oh no, that uh. The, got the like senator? in prison and yeah, and then yeah. he kind of yeah. squeezed his face through it, through that bars, through through the bars. I thought mm. I thought that was the guy. Oh but... no, yeah, <laughs> he's the bad guy from X two. Oh, so who's the bad guy in X three? The the director Brett Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh. Um, but yeah, I I really like the movie, but. It suffers from the all oh, those are the X Men that I don't care about, but here's the X Men I do care about. Which who are the X Men you care about? The main ones. The main ones. But they were, I thought the main ones were in their prop, like had their proper amount of time. Yeah, yeah, but like, um, like Wolverine is obviously the main one yeah. in that movie, and then you got Pro- Professor X, Magneto, both from the future and the past. Mm-hmm. You have Storm. Uh, no, no Storm wasn't it. a main character, yeah. Not in this movie. Yeah, well, yeah, she only Mystique has like was. two lines. Mystique was yeah, 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 but Mystique is one of those ones. I mean, especially like when I first saw at the the first X Men movie, mm-hmm. it was one of those ones where it was like, oh, that's the one I don't care about. Yeah. But with First Class, then I started caring about her. But in this movie, it seems like she's the typical plot point. Yeah. Well, someone had to pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I, lo- I I like the movie. It had a really good story and everything, but I don't know. Just uh, just a little yeah, nitpicky, I guess. And, and who's that guy at the end after the credits? Oh, that's Apocalypse. Oh, him and his four horsemen. You mean the guy building the pyramids? Mm, yeah. Oh, who's gonna be played by Oscar Isaac? Yeah, yeah, I read that. <laughs> Pretty soon to be known as Poe Dameron in The Force Awakens. <laughs> yeah, what was that rumor that you just um, you put up on the Twitter account? Uh, today? No, I think it was yesterday. There was uh, a few stuff came out yesterday. There was like, uh, some new story details for it. Yeah, the one from Star Wars 7 yeah. News or whatever. To be honest, a lot of it had to do with... Uh, Ray. Ray. Yeah. But there was... that she's she's uh the the daughter of Han and Leia, right? Yeah, kinda of what we're all assuming yeah. and how Ray's probably not really her name and there might be a twist with that, which I kinda of knew or assumed anyway. But then there was more in that story that kinda of laid out how certain scenes are gonna play out in the beginning and I actually didn't read that. That's the type of the stuff I don't wanna know right now, like how scenes play out and like, what's going to happen where in the movie? I don't mind knowing certain details, but how actual stuff will play out in the movie, I want to try to stay away from that as much as possible. Yeah, I, I, I didn't read that either because, I mean, I don't know if it's, you know how there's, like, all these rumor sites like Latino Review and, mm-hmm. I guess, the Star Wars 7 News or whatever and uh, Jedi, Jedi News? Is yeah, it? the Jedi News. <laughs> yeah, Jedi News. Their articles are written so badly that it almost makes like they're ma- it almost makes it sound like they're making all of this up. Well, to be fair, because I go to Jedi News all the time, they don't really post too many rumors. They kind of 
send you to where the rumors are happening. <laughs> yeah, but it's the whole thing, you know, the secret sources and yeah. a source close to the production and and things like that. It's like Well some like, I mean, some of it of course is gonna be bogus and not true, but a lot of the yeah. stuff we've heard early on proved to be right in some of the concept art and what we saw in the trailer too. So I mean, you kind of got to pick and choose what you yourself want to believe, but it, you can't dismiss yeah. all of it, really, because it's been proven already, the stuff we've heard is becoming true. Yeah, but you see, that's the, yeah, that's that's my problem, because, yeah, so, some of the stuff turned out to be true, and, you know, good on them, but the articles that they write, it makes it sound like it's fake. It's like, they, they have some sort of introduction, like, you remember last week when we said blah, 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 and, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, well, now we've learned that that is true, and this from our secret source that was close to the production, or or simply our secret source. I don't know. It's just the way that it's written. Hmm. It makes it too like uh, conspiracy theory esque. Like, I mean, that's part of the reason why I'll never believe in UFOs and stuff and aliens because it it makes it it's so. Cons- conspiracy theory like that it's like okay you're clearly off your rocker (laughs) you're clearly crazy okay yeah at the same time too i mean it is kind of hard to word it where because since it's not official they don't have official official confirmation where it's where they have to say their source but at the same time can't really reveal the source because then they'll get in trouble from lucasfilm so like their sources trusted them not to say who they are so it is yeah, yeah. it is kind of make it sound like a conspiracy thing but really what else are they to do if they want to tell us get the story out yeah but e- even though you say that i can't help but feel that a journal a, a real journalist with you know actual credentials <laughs> See, that's the thing. these aren't real journalists <laughs> yeah well i mean el maeve claims that he is so let's hold him to that standard yeah, that's you know, fair. Yeah, <laughs> he gets all upset I, when it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, when he's not referred to in that way, but so let's hold him to that standard and say that I can't help but feel that a, a real journalist with credibility could have written a better article. Yeah, that's that's fair. But I mean, hey, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. For those big like scoop sites like Latina Review, yeah, I agree with it. But when it's like star wars fan sites really can't expect it to be you know like the whole journalistic integrity thing i mean you expect people to not like tell you fake things just to get site hits which unfortunately there are sites that do that just put up bogus stories to get people to check them out but at least for the star wars sites i visited i know there are people who write stories because first of all they love star wars but then they do have certain sources that give them reliable information that have proven to be true in the past so the ones I visit, I, I kind of had to weed some out, ones I trust, and then the ones that I really don't pay attention to, So, because, you know, they really don't have any credibility in the past, and then sometimes when these stories just pop up out of nowhere, it's like, what is this? I never even heard of this thing before. That's where you kind of have to raise an eyebrow and go, I don't know about this one. You kind of have to wait and see for maybe another site will say, you know what, I've heard the same thing. This site may be new, but what they're saying is I've heard before, too, and it might be legit, so... It's kind of a whole <laughs> thing to if you really want to follow the news and stuff with rumors. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you got to filter through. And so far, with Star Wars, it seems like it's a whole another level with anything, even for like Batman versus Superman or any other comic book movie that's coming out. Rumors that come out for Star Wars is something totally different. <laughs> it's all over the place. And you want got everyone chomping out the bit to get something new or an exclusive. 
and then that even causes like you know you've seen it Dane Twitter wars or Twitter feuds going yeah. on yeah. it gets ridiculous sometimes <laughs> but on uh, the Star Wars front I think it's a little more it's better handled than some of the comic book stuff though <laughs> as far as people interacting with each other but you still get the feuds out there I don't know I mean you're trying to explain it to me but I don't know I, I still think that these these rumors are or these rumor sites and the people that write for them are kind of like those those guys that write about ghost stories or I mean it's it's the reason why I don't believe in ghosts I don't believe in UFOs I don't believe we're visited by aliens I don't I don't believe that the moon landing was a hoax it, I mean it just seems it, it has like the same writing pattern Yeah I mean you're probably right I mean, there are stuff that's written like that I, I totally get and, it but and like yeah, of, I mean, of course, we're not going to hold up, let's say, Star Wars 7 News or whatever it's called, to the same standards we hold up, you know, a real journalist, you know? Mm. We're not going to have the same expectations, but, you know, if you're going to claim that you're a journalist and you're going to claim that you have this credibility, then maybe you should write your articles a little better. I mean, different from you know, these ghost hunters or the UFO hunters, the alien hunters or the moon landing hoax people, you know? Not what the easiest solution would be, which I can never do, stay away Don't from read the it. rumors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, I'd love to stay away from it, but nah, I can't read this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can say that, but these people are trying to get sight hits, right? Exactly. So it's hard to. But anyway, back to sorry, Alex. Alex. Yeah, sorry, Alex. <laughs> we just went on a long tangent there. Um, or, yeah, heck, the the X Men make no sense. What happened to their chromosomes that allowed one of them to be born of power to teleport, shoot off the glass, and from another dimension or go back in time? At least with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the mutation is artificially created, and it only gives animals human physicality. It's like the island of Doctor Morio or the BTS. Uh, episode Tiger Tiger. I think Terrence brought up how strange it was that a cosmic force gave the Fantastic Four such diverse powers, but the X-Men take it to a new level. Writers take it too seriously, bringing in real historical events and want us to be engaged in their plight, but it doesn't make sense in the realm of science fiction to me. Those aren't mutations. Combine that with the idea that there's thousands of other superheroes that are far more powerful than the X-Men but for some reason aren't hunted for their abilities. Just to clarify, I wasn't trying to say that Harry Potter was a series for adults. I was just confused why they were relegated to, to childish status. Well, the Marvel movies are much more juvenile. I know you guys haven't seen them, but of the few I, I have seen, they are dark, way darker, better written, and respectful to the intelligence of kids, in my opinion. I have no attachment to the franchise <laughs> It's it, it sounds like uh, Alex had an affair with his wife and he's trying to he has to give a public statement. <laughs> so it's, uh, I have no attachment to the franchise or anything. So you did you didn't bug me. The reason why I love you guys and the Batman universe is that none of you are conceited. Both of what does that what does that word mean to what conceited? Yeah, you know, like so full of yourselves and think only our oh. opinions matter. Oh, well, I am fooling myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, if there was one thing, it would be that I'm the opposite of that. But um, 
yeah, both of you are so humble and don't show any of the elitism that is associated in comic book culture. Well, thank you, Alex. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it definitely it, makes me happy to hear that because I yeah. really try to stay or I mean, I try to make it a point to stay away from that typical comic book culture. Like I said, the elitist yeah. that a lot of people have and think they're entitled to this or it should be my way or nothing. Yeah, and if if anything, this podcast has helped me understand or realize that, you know, you got to look at a certain situation from both sides. You can't just look at it from, oh my God, that's messed up. You know, you've ruined my childhood. Yeah. You know, you gotta you gotta maybe step back and think. I still have all these other you know things that from my childhood that are that I think are good. So exactly. You know, things like that. So I try to keep it even killed, but. Judging from that last conversation we had, well, I mean, I wasn't that negative, was I? No, you were just telling how you felt about how these articles are written, which is totally yeah. valid. So. Oh, okay, good, good. Uh, but he goes on to say, thanks, guys, for the Star Wars recommendations. I'm, go- I'm going to go ahead and check out those books when I get a chance. The only Star Wars books I've ever read were from, from the Thrawn trilogy, and I really enjoyed them. Nice. You're not going to be disappointed with those books. <laughs> oh, you've read them now. No, I mean, the ones he was talking about, like, we recommended last time, Darth Bane, Darth Plagueis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, Alex always has questions. So his first question is, what is something that your parents said to you as a child that you weren't able to understand until you were a teenager? When Tim brought up that his parents edited Jaws, <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of when my mom would, would, would let me watch a movie. And then tell me that certain things went over my head. I'd always protest because a child, because as a child, I thought I understood everything. Then when I re- revisited those movies at an older age, I realized what content she was referring to. I tease her about letting me watch something that was so dirty. <laughs> Tim? See, I don't know if it's something that's actually said, but I'll go back to the whole movie thing again. Um, they always they did this almost the same thing with Batman '89 for me, really, because I wanted to see that movie so bad at the theater, and they wouldn't let me, because they've heard the reputation of it being really dark, and I was only six at the time, so I had to wait a long time to see it. Just when it came out on video, and I don't remember how long it was, but those were the days where it took almost about a year or so for a movie to come out on video, and even then, when they rented it, my dad had to watch it first before I saw it because he didn't see it in the movies. Then he know what part he'd have to forward or I, I can't believe parents actually do this. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a sounds like a lot of time <laughs> you gotta commit to this. Hey when you love your kids, you know they really want to see something, but don't feel it's really appropriate, they'll do that they'll make that sacrifice for you. So I I'm appreciative. So. <laughs> but it's like it's funny though, even though when I saw Batman for the first or see even I saw Batman eighty nine for the first time, there were certain things I didn't see that they didn't want me to see. Like when uh Joker used uh, the hand buzzer to burn that mob guy to a crisp. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, so I couldn't see that for a while. But well, I never had anything where it's like they wouldn't let me see it or they said something to me and then I didn't understand it and then knew, like, oh, okay, I knew what you're talking about. When I saw Batman and all the stuff up for the first time with that, I was like, that wasn't so bad. I think I should have been able to <laughs> see that as a six-year-old. But, of course, that's when I was a little older and I kind of figured what's the big deal. But... The, other than Jaws and the, that Batman instance is what came to mind first <laughs> because like I said being a diehard Batman fan wanted to see that movie so bad but wasn't able to and then when I finally saw it still had to make certain things 
I edit it out. So <laughs> this makes me think if I have a kid, would I do the same thing or would I let <laughs> him watch it and try to explain stuff? But no, I'd like to think I'd kind of take over what my parents did to me and be selective and maybe edit out certain things that won't be appropriate. But <laughs> we'll see if that, if that ever happens <laughs> with me having a kid. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think that'd probably be the first only thing that comes to me was Batman 89 when I had to wait to see that on a home video. So. I just can't think of anything really that that was said. <laughs> I'm trying to think back to my early days in my youth, but nothing's coming to mind. But yeah, I'll just stick with the Batman story. So I don't know. How about you, Dane? Um, hmm. Probably. I mean, do, does it have to be like, okay, wait. Let me read Alex's question. What is something that your parents said to you as a child that you weren't able to understand until you were a teenager? How about if I change that to adult? <laughs> Maybe something like the birds and uh, bees. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, you know, to be honest, it's something simple. It's something that every parent, every parent tells their kids every night that you should go to sleep early. Or you know when you have a bedtime and it's like seven o'clock and it's like oh but I'm I'm so you know I'm so up and I still have energy and it's like I didn't really get that throughout my childhood and my when I was a teenager but now it's kind of like I just uh, if I don't go to sleep early I'm dead tired in the morning I'm dead tired <laughs> like I can barely keep my eyes open. So that's probably one thing that they told me when I was a child. See, I'd agree with that, except I still don't take that advice or <laughs> I still go to bed really. But you agree with it. Yeah, you should, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> all right, and then second question is, what are your top favorite or top five favorite storylines in all of fiction? For me, well, first two are no-brainers. Star Wars, number one, followed by Batman. And I don't know if I should throw in like, Batman or like the whole DC kind of history stuff, but uh, I'll just stick it with Batman for the, just for this choice. So Star Wars, Batman, and then I see Alex has this on his list of number four, the Dragon Ball series. I'd actually put that at number three. He said the Japanese version only, which I could see the US made some changes, but just overall, the story that started with the series Dragon Ball through that, through Dragon Ball Z, and to a certain extent GT, but we really don't count that. But just the epic saga they were able, the story they were able to tell through that saga from Goku as a little kid to see him when he grows up to him, his son, then when his son grows up, just the generations that we're able to see throughout the course of that story is really great. So I agree with you on there. The number four, I'd probably go with probably Lord of the Rings. And number five, see, I like a lot of things, but I know if I never really had a chance to rank them in a certain way. <laughs> Hmm. it's got all these different comic book characters too (laughs) so it's like hard to differentiate if i should have just lumped up together as comics or do i separate them like spider-man story the x-men story green lantern story because that'd take up a bunch of numbers on my list so maybe i'll just put comic characters in general with certain ones (laughs) into one category so and right now hmm yeah, this is a tough one. Well, I'll just leave it at that. Star Wars, Batman, I got Dragon Ball, I got Lord of the Rings, and then 
various comic book stories and then i'm into other things you know like ninja turtles i'm really into and then you got uh video game stuff like final fantasy legend of zelda so yeah it can go on <laughs> on and on for me but those would be my top picks the ones i listed yeah um for me yeah uh batman star wars one and two uh probably probably the arkham knight uh, or the Arkham trilogy, or whatever you, whatever people are ca- calling it, uh, that storyline. Uh, hmm. Dang it, Alex! You always stump me. Man. <laughs> uh, probably Breaking Bad, and uh, hmm. uh, Allergy. I'd say that. It's hard to argue with those picks, but you're <laughs> you're separating certain Batman stories, not just Batman in general. That's different than how how I did it because <laughs> I don't know. Why All right, know. Jesus. No, I'm not saying that you have to do. It. I just find it interesting that you did it that way because yeah, there'd just be way too much for me to choose from. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> Batman story in general. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> um, and uh, for Alex, it's uh, one the Metal Gear Solid series. Yeah, man, um, if you're really into that, I mean, it's a great story, but there's so much you got to know, I think, <laughs> to get yeah, the whole yeah. story. For that. I think after, like, the second one, the, I think it's called Sons of Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of lost what the story was about. Yeah, just as you're going through the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, it, it's the same thing with the Resident Evil series. After, like, the second one, I'm like, oh, I don't I don't know, I just want to shoot zombies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his uh, second one is Daredevil. His third is The Godfather Parts 1 and 2. His fourth is the Dragon Ball series, the Japanese version only. Why the Japanese version only? There's certain, not big ones in my opinion, but certain story elements that are different that when it was dubbed here in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and five is Breaking Bad. So with that, Alex says, thanks, guys. And we say thank you, Alex, for sending us an email. It's always great to great to read an email from Alex every you get every two with weeks. your questions. I know. It's like <laughs> Alex thinks of the hardest questions. It's like I don't. I mean, I try thinking about them throughout the week. Whenever he sends them, it's like I can't, I can't think of anything. <laughs> I, mean, I just get them the day of, so I don't have time to think. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that, that's part of my strategy too. I just try to surprise you. So you could have the better answer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, why, why don't you read um, Corbin's? Oh, oh, wait. First off, we have to say we love you, Alex. Thanks for sending you in an email. We always enjoy reading your emails, and it's not it's it's not a podcast if we don't get a email from Alex. So keep on sending those in. Um, we'll have to cancel an episode if we don't get an email. <laughs> <laughs> but but why don't you read uh, Corbin's email? All right, now it's part two for Corbin's epic sequel story to the Dark Knight trilogy, and he's calling this one Mad Love. He says, a year later in Arkham, we see Joker being willed in into his psych- the psychiatric ward. He's a vegetable, but Dr. Quinzel doesn't give up on him. She gets excited any time he shows the f- faintest display of reaction to what she's saying. Showing the beginning of their abusive relationship, Harley will be crazy in love with him, but also being excited and seeing progress as he comes out of his vegetative state. He begins doing this more and more as they try to get him out of solitary and more involved as he learns about Batman. John Blake is still obsessed with the highly religious terrorist group, uh, the, the Order of St. Dumas. 
He's constantly in the cave trying to learn more about them. He still sees the phantasm in the shadows and wonders if it's real or if he's making it up in his head. His mind is beginning to break down. One night he follows it and he sees something in an alley. He is hit from behind with a crowbar and blacks out. We go to Italy where the Bertinellis, Bruce, Selena, and their daughter Helena are living. Bruce is near 50 at this point and has grown some awesome facial hair. So when he says awesome facial hair, I think of Mark Hamill's beard that he grew for The Force Awakens, because <laughs> that is awesome facial hair. <laughs> of course, they've trained their daughter some moves, and she's capable of handling her own at a young age. Bruce gets a message delivered to his house, written in what looks like blood. It says, Dear Brucey, how are things over there? I've missed you. How come you never write me? Well, I have planned a homecoming party for you. Just don't be fashionably late. Love, your pudding. Back in Gotham, James Jr. has also moved in with his father and sister to attend college. Commissioner Gordon has announced his retirement and has a sense of relief that it's over. Maggie Sawyer is going to be his replacement. The Gordons celebrate over dinner when they hear the doorbell ring. Barbara is shot as soon as she opens the door as Joker and Harley Quinn barge in. They beat Jim as Joker tells him the nightmare isn't over yet. Jim wakes up, tied with his family in front of a TV. It comes on and the Joker starts to explain. He's on TV and radio all over the city. He's conducting another experiment, similar to the one in the Dark Knight. This school bus is suspended by a crane and is rigged with explosives. In an abandoned building downtown, Batman is tied up and surrounded by explosives as well. Instead, the people of Gotham are going to choose Batman or a bunch of kids. They call a number and vote for who lives. If no one votes within the allotted time, they both go off. If anyone approaches, the bombs will detonate. Bruce arrives in the Batcaves and meets Nightwing and Red Hood, who are already there. They get the gadgets they need, and Bruce suits up in a more mechanical-based suit to assist him. Nightwing and Red Hood are to jam the signal to the explosives, save the kids, and then do the same with John Blake while Batman goes after the Joker. Paramedics arrive at, Gordon's, at the Gordons, give Barbara medical attention. James Jr. doesn't have any injuries, but they check him over anyway. They try to take Jim, too, but he won't take... They try to take Jim too, but he won't let them take him. Batman heads to the carnival and makes his way to the Tunnel of Love. Joker is waiting for him, their final fight. They begin a brutal battle where Joker has the upper hand, stabbing him multiple times. Nightwing and Red Hood get to the bus and start trying to help the kids. When they are surprised by Harley Quinn, she fights them in a couple of she fights them with a couple of hammers, not Hugh one, unfortunately. They struggle in the tight quarters of the bus, and Harley gets the drop on them. She starts climbing out so she can drop the bus, since they have the bombs jammed. Nightwing gets the last of the kids out just as the bus drops with Jason inside. But the votes are already in. Batman has been sentenced to die as the building John Blake is in explodes. Nightwing is furious and begins fighting Harley again to take her into custody. Joker shows Batman everything he's done on TV, seemingly killing John and Jason. Batman goes berserk and beats the Joker, but refuses to kill him when he regains control. Joker wants him to do it to prove his point. Batman thinks for a while and begins to pick him up when multiple gunshots are heard. Jim Gordon is standing in the distance, gun drawn, crying. Afterward, he just turns around and walks away. The paramedics come in and cart Joker away. Bruce is badly injured to the point of blacking out, but escapes to the cave where Selina, Helena, and Nightwing fix him up. Barbara pulls throughout the hospital, but she won't walk again. John Blank is pronounced dead, as well as Jason Todd although there is no body found. Bruce can be Batman ever again. He just physically can't, and he has a family to take care of. 
but he doesn't mind helping the team if they want to continue. Dick Grayson takes up the role of Batman. Next up, war. <laughs> so then he continues on with saying, I really wanted to kill Bruce in the battle with Joker, but I just couldn't make myself do it. He has a life outside of Batman now. He is no longer consumed by it. It just wouldn't make any sense, and it would have been too many deaths at once. I always thought it was crazy that fans voted to kill Jason. I wanted to play off that, but make it so that it was the right decision. Even though it wasn't Jason who was voted to die, he did play a big part in it. And we'll see the fallout of that, and much more later. This is basically a mashup of Death in the Family, Killing Joke, The Dark Knight Returns, and Mad Love, which I decided was the most appropriate name for this. Love comes up consistently throughout the story, even if it's not flat out mentioned. Love is the motivating factor for nearly everyone involved in this story. Well, again, Corbin, hats off to you for <laughs> creating another cool uh, what-if story for a sequel of the Dark Knight trilogy. I did like the throwbacks and references you gave with uh, the Joker having the people vote for you know, the lives of John Blake or those kids. Did remind, <laughs> Right when I read it, it's like, okay, I know what he's doing here, going back to the whole Jason Todd voting thing, <laughs> so that was cool. And it makes sense to have where Bruce and Selina were at the end of the Dark Knight Rises, that it does make perfect sense that they would have a daughter and have it being Helena. And then I don't know why they would change the name to the Bertinelli's. I guess Bruce wanted to get away from the name Wayne, but I don't picture him doing that. But I did like how you set up there where they started that family, kind of like how it was in the Earth 2 comics. So the cool job. I'm curious to see where the title War is going to go. Are we going to get Justice League War or something else? So <laughs> look forward to part three in the next email. But thanks again. All right, so with that, we can move on to uh, the Zodiac's email. <laughs> uh, he says, hi, Tea Time and Dana Lucian. <laughs> See, man, we're getting a lot of titles uh, in the bag, so we need to think of one for next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a good one that I can remember. Uh, he says, another great show, and can I say, fantastic choice in intro music. I haven't heard that tune in a long time, but it instantly brought back memories from my youth of an awesome but incredibly hard and frustrating time. Yes, I'm glad you picked I, up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, love that I, game. <laughs> I really liked your featured topic on books for newbies, and thank you for not being a part of the Frank Miller is the best bandwagon and giving a more thorough book list. I think the list you gave will give everyone something to enjoy. On the books that you said the movies took inspiration from, I would I would add the Brian Azarilla Joker's book. While not a book for everyone, it does go for the ultra-realistic version of the Joker. And you can see that, see, this is something they used for Heath Ledger's interpretation. That's a good point. Yeah, that was a good one. Was, even visually, yeah, you can just tell it yeah. screams Heath Ledger Joker. It's a great story, too. Also, you asked, you asked if there was anything used in Batman and Robin. And while technically not done originally in the comics and more in the animated series, and then used in books. It was the scene where Freeze carves the statue of Nora, Nora and spins it, spins it on the clock. I thought being a huge Batman the Animated Series fan, Tim would have remembered that. Uh, yeah, well, seeing how I've only seen Batman and Robin like maybe three times at the most, so that's pushing it <laughs> and trying to block it out. That's something I don't really want to recall. <laughs> and if he's going to carve it into a clock, why do you just use the, the globe, the snow globe? Just yeah. have to be a, a direct nod to it. So, yeah, there's a reason why I didn't bring it up, uh, Mike. <laughs> in regard to Gotham using the Greasons in new episodes, I don't have a problem with this. Even if they say she is pregnant or just had a son, I think that 
that with Bruce being about 13 in the series, it will work out to being about the right age difference with Leslie Tompkins. Oh, sorry. <laughs> with Leslie Tompkins, I agree with Tim in that, well, well, being a good character, it doesn't feel like Leslie we all know, especially since they have made no connection with her and Bruce. If they try to say that she was there on the night the Waynes died, then that will just feel shoehorned in. But I will say that she is 100% more interesting than, <laughs> than the incredibly dull Barbara Keene. <laughs> and what happened to Renee? They, they used her as love interest for Barbara, and they just, and they just dumped her storyline. Yeah, honestly, they should just dump the whole Barbara Keene story. That's like the weakest thing in the show so far. <laughs> the news that Tom Hardy was going wasn't going to be Rick Flag is a shame, but it makes me wonder if they were if they were given if they have given him a more iconic role in a future movie. Flag really isn't a well known character, and I think Hardy would be a better would be better off in a A grade character role, maybe something like Shazam. If it is something like a clashing of, clashing of egos, then I think this movie is going to be in trouble. So hopefully not. Also, with the rumor of Batman having a cameo in Suicide Squad, I think one of the writers for the movie must be a listener because a few emails ago I called it. Just saying. <laughs> Did he? Well, yeah, if he's listening to this episode, he's going to hear Dane's comments and now write Batman out of it. <laughs> so you ruined it for all of us now, Dane. Oh. <laughs> I liked Alex's comment about idiots saying it ruined my childhood. I agree with you guys about that being a ridiculous comment. If you don't like a new interpretation of something, just shut up and don't watch it and enjoy what came before. My thought is, if you are a fan, you will give it a go and find something in it to enjoy or walk away and ignore it. Perfect example, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I enjoy. See, it's always when Mike sends in an email. <laughs> Uh, further evidence to your uh, against Mike, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's always when Mike sent. Uh, I read Mike's email. Uh, I enjoy the Marvel movies, but this show sucked. And after trying trying for three episodes, I gave up and didn't bother with it. Did it ruin the Avengers? Of course not. Growing up in the '90s in Australia, I only got access to a few new shows or books, and I had to take what I could, what I could get, and enjoy it. He gave me a, a an appreciation for for it and made me a, made me a bigger fan. That's why even today I can't hate on Batman Batman and Robin because because for a while it was all I got and made me really appreciate Batman Begins eight years later. <laughs> well, props to you if you can uh, find some enjoyable thing or anything about Batman and Robin because <laughs> <Yeah>, it's hard. <laughs> He says, also, I agree with Alex's comment on your baseball tangents. I find these enjoyable to listen to, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but keep doing it. Your love for it makes it fun to listen to. I'd, I'd say you could throw in some cricket talk, but we all know you got to know what a crumpet is to understand cricket. <laughs> uh, I'm taking that as a great Ninja Turtles reference from the first movie. <laughs> oh. um, cricket. Well, I know baseball was based on that. Was was cricket first? Because I don't know if it was. Yeah, I think cricket was first. Mm-hmm. That's all I know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with your Jaws scariest moment conversation, I would have to say the bit that always freaks me out is the bit where Hooper goes into the water to investigate the attack, and when he digs the shark tooth out of the boat, the fisherman's head comes out. Crap my pants every time. <laughs> <laughs> also, you guys are wondering how after... 
killing the shark, they got back to shore. I think the answer could be perfectly done on a few years. In a few years' time. It's a movie called Aquaman. <laughs> have this as the intro to the movie. You don't have to say their names. Just have two guys paddling to shore and have a, have a young Arthur Curry come out of the water and ask what they're doing. When the answer... When the answer, they just killed... When they answer, they just killed the shark that was terrifying the locals. Have him help them and head into shore. Flash forward 10 years and start the movie. Perfect intro and nod to fans. <laughs> that would actually be really funny and awesome yeah. if that happened. <laughs> and now we move on to my favorite part of, of Mike's email. He says, Dane, you asked me about the Outback restaurant chain and the Blooming Onion. <laughs> I, to, <laughs> I had to look this up because this is not an Australian thing. From what I could tell, this is a U.S. company that is using the idea of Australia as, a, as its gimmick. So it's kind of like Taco Bell then. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> By the way, uh, Taco Bell, the Taco Bell Twitter account, and oh, I'm not yeah. making this up, it's it's one of the best Twitter accounts. How is that possible? What do they tweet the, out besides menu stuff and what's on sale? <laughs> the, hold on, hold on. I got to look this up. I got to look this up because, I mean, th- their Twitter account is awesome. Like... Th- they tweet a lot, and they tweet to fans. But um, see, talk about being an easy job. You're in charge of the Taco Bell Twitter account. <laughs> see, it says I need my I need some Taco Bell in my life ASAP. And then um, they they have some kind of petition going for the taco emoji. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's, like, there's like a taco emoji, and then uh, California Pizza Kitchen, uh, apparently like supported that. The, the the petition it says we have ours and there's a emoji of a pizza now you need yours we support the cause they must Love be like Cal- part of the same like head company or something <laughs> yeah and um yeah i mean they, they just tweet a lot and you know they're, they're all about this taco emoji <laughs> and um Oh. Hold on, I'm trying to find the petition. I'm sorry, I just think it's real funny we're talking about Taco Bell tweets. <laughs> it's good, man. I mean, it's like okay, right here, there, there it is. It's uh, it's a change.org petition. So, the title is "The Taco Emoji Needs to Happen." Unicode Consortium, a nonprofit that regulates the coding standards for written computer text that includes emojis, announced on Friday, November 14th, that it has accepted 37 new emoji characters as candidates for Unicode 8.0, scheduled for mid-2015. These are candidates not yet finalized, so some emojis may not appear in the release. The taco emoji is a potential candidate for the release, but we need your help convincing them the taco emoji needs to happen. (laughs) Why do pizza and hamburger lovers get an emoji, but taco lovers don't? Here's a better question. Why do we need four different types of mailboxes, or 25 different types of clocks, or a VCR tape and a floppy disk emoji? No one even uses those things anymore. (laughs) Regardless, we know we're not alone. Taco Bell fans everywhere have been asking for taco emoji for years. And now we finally finally have the chance to help get the people what they want. America wants a taco emoji. America needs a taco emoji. Help us sign the petition. Let's make the taco emoji official. Love, Taco Bell. 
Oh man! So, are you officially part of the taco emoji revolution? I, I guess I am because, <laughs> I mean, the, there's like thousands of comments. Like, uh, I'm a huge fan of the new quesarito. It cheers me up when I'm feeling down. It's the spring in my step, the sizzle with my steak. It is my everything. Oh, I like man. to propose that we also create a quesarito emoji. Thank you for your time. Uh, and they have uh. 27,000 signatures on that. Jeez. <laughs> How many signatures do you really need to get your emoji made? <laughs> I mean, this, the Taco Bell uh, Twitter account is, is really good to follow up. I mean, even if you don't like, even if you don't like Taco Bell, it's, it's good to follow. <laughs> well, I should follow it with our Batman's Twitter account. Maybe we'll be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> this taco emoji petition is no joke so we made t-shirts if you support it wear it <laughs> have you seen to... anyone wearing a taco emoji shirt in the wild <laughs> well, well there's a picture of a uh a, a mo- there's a model wearing the t-shirt <laughs> i'm sure she wears it wherever she goes it wasn't just for that photo shoot <laughs> and then uh they retweeted somebody and it says i'm currently purchasing the taco emoji shirt because it's a cause i truly believe in <laughs> The world needs a taco emoji. The world needed a taco emoji years ago, I believe. Wow. <laughs> I think these people are dead serious, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know how Taco Bell gets black for their food? Have you seen that Kentucky Fried Chicken's new item on their menu? It looks absolutely gross. What? What is it? It's a hot dog. But instead of a hot dog bun, it's, it's their chicken. So you got a hot dog. With the chicken what? as the buns, with like cheese on it, it was like, oh man, I can't, can't imagine what that tastes like. <laughs> now you see, Taco Bell, they don't complicate things like that. It's like Taco Bell keeps it simple. It's not, you know, a hot dog wrapped in KFC chicken. It's or a just hot dog a, ta- in a taco shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's simple. They did have those colored tacos not too long ago, wasn't they? Like the black oh, the one Dorito or the one? one. Yeah. Oh. The the Dorito ones are really good. I, I I tried those. I never tried those ones. Those are good. But anyway, back to Mike's email. Back to the Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> From what I could tell, by the way, uh, another good tweeter is, um, believe it or not, NASA. <laughs> okay. And believe it or not, the CIA <laughs> they probably just want to try to find people who are <laughs> oh, yeah. like investigating. <laughs> no, I mean they, they they post a lot of like historical information, which is really cool to read. But um, yeah. Anyway, uh, from what I could tell, this is a U.S. company that is using the idea of Australia as its gimmick. Your example of the Hawaiian pizza was spot on. The blooming onion is not a traditional meal, and I don't even think it looks like a plant. We, I don't think it even looks like a plant we have here, but I could be wrong. It may be a dessert, desert plant. <laughs> a dessert, dessert plant. <laughs> but it's not a common plant. Another easy giveaway is that they use the word fries. We call them chips, and only McDonald's really calls them fries. Also, we don't call them shrimp. They are prawns over here. Really? Hmm. Isn't prawns the name of the aliens in District 9? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
and, and, and prawns like are shrimp. Also, <laughs> yeah, and prawns are also their own thing that aren't shrimp. Uh, so, I don't yep. know. We learned something new about Australia as always. Yeah, yeah. We learned something new about Australia, and you know this podcast is filled with information, useless information now, but <laughs> information nonetheless. Yes. We do use the term Sheila for woman uh, over here, but unless they called the male toilet blokes, there is no <laughs> point calling it Sheila's. As blokes is the male equivalent, and it would be weird to call the toilets males and Sheila's. Do they say good day, mate? When you walk in the door, <laughs> you know what? I would love it if uh, the men's room would be saying blokes instead of men. <laughs> that'd, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't know, Dave. When you go to Outback Steakhouse, do they say good day, mate? Because I actually never no. eaten there. You, you've never eaten at Outback? Nope. No. But they claim that they're, I mean, I don't know if they claim that, but like a, a large part of their advertising is the feeling that you're eating something. A recipe that was from Australia, mm. but I guess that's just part of their gimmick. Yeah, that's what I said. But no, they're definitely <laughs> Yeah, they they don't say good day, mate, and um, when you walk in the door. But they do have a lot of Australian people working for them, so Maybe surprise. Yeah, I guess so. Well, at least over here, anyway. But. Uh, it was cool hearing the 311 section on my email and Tim's choices on favorite songs were also good picks. Unfortunately, Thanks, unfortunately, I haven't seen them live as the last time they toured was in 1997 and I was only 17 at the time and couldn't go see them as they played at a festival that was quite a distance away and I had no way of getting there. I would have, I would have to see them in the U.S. if I wanted, wanted to see them live. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> I feel sorry for you that they don't go over there. <laughs> but I'm curious. I got another music question for Mike. There's there's a big band, or I don't know if they're necessarily really big over there, but there's a band that's big in Australia, I know, a lot bigger over here that I really like. They're called The Living End, and I've been wanting to see them live for a long time, but they haven't come over here in years. <laughs> I know they just mainly tour in Australia. So I'm curious to see if uh, Mike's like that band and if he's seen them live, because I'm kind of in the same predicament with them when he gets a 311 over here. <laughs> so let me know, Mike. I wonder um, what other Australian bands are really big. Well, the Living End is the band that I like the most from there, so that's the only one I. Yeah, oh yeah, but uh, I mean, there must be other, other um, bands from Australia. Yeah, sure, there's a lot. Like three quarters of ACDC. Yeah, they they like do world tours though, so I don't think that's really a problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's like bands who are only like big in one country. No, 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 I meant bands from Australia. Okay, I'm, I'm still on the touring portion. So. <laughs> What bands are from Australia, Mike? Uh, I can't think of one. I'm sure there's an obvious one that we're just missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's got to be more than one. Yeah, like, there totally is. Yeah. Um, but he says, thanks for using your Star Wars knowledge and answering my questions. It was exactly what I need to know. What do you guys think about Disney scra- scraping, scrapping most of the existing canon and only going with what they will create from now on. I'd say, thank goodness <laughs> it needed to be done. It really <laughs> did. 
because there's so many books and other stuff out there that people were getting confused on it before they wiped away with it. And yeah, it made some people mad who invested in all those stories, but it definitely had to be done, especially with these new movies. They wanted to do something new and fresh, and they couldn't be relying on what all those older stories were told. They had to do their own thing and not be hindered by continuity stuff. So yeah, I'm totally cool with it, and actually glad they did it. Mike says, um, I'm a bit either way on it, as Lucas Books did a lot of great stories, but by the time they hit the story where they killed off Chewie, I gave up. So I wouldn't mind things like that being scrapped, but things like Mara J going away is a bit sad. What would you think if in five to ten years Warner Brothers told DC that due to the success of the DC movieverse, they had what? That due to the success of the DC movieverse, they had they had to use oh, okay they had to you to base all books of this new universe and ignore everything else. Man, that was hard to get through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like I said, it's like certain things that had to be have to be done in order to tell the story story forward exactly yeah Yeah. but with comics and movies i think it's a little different because every kind of going in you know they're both separate right away but with star wars in the eu people were always debating on what's if that this is definitely in canon and other people say no unless it's from lucas we don't really view it as canon so there was always a debate but with comic stuff and comic movies there's really not too much of a debate about that yeah also, what did you guys think of the new Marvel Star Wars comic, if you read it? I have a question about it, but it may be a bit spoilerish if you haven't read it. What do you think about Luke confronting Vader at the end? I feel that they should have only met face-to-face for the first time on Bespin. Without getting the training from Yoda and experiencing his failure in the Dark Side cave, Luke would have been so easily turned to the Dark Side if they met before. I will give the book a chance to explain itself, but this just jumped out at me as soon as I read it. Yeah, first off, read the Marvel comic. It was awesome. I loved it a lot. <laughs> and there's only one thing that bugged me. It wasn't that. It was some Darth Vader did with the stormtroopers. He was Chewie was in a sniper position and he started blasting Darth Vader. But then Darth Vader used the stormtroopers with the force as shields <laughs> in front of him for them to get blasted. I was like, there was always a part of me that I thought. There's a small part of Anakin still in Darth Vader where he had respect for the troops that he, I know they're not clones at that time period, but just the fact that they're armored troops on the front line, he kind of had respect for them for his soldiers. And for him to do that, I was like, eh, I don't know if I necessarily like seeing that. But as far as what he was saying about Luke confronting Darth Vader at the end, I will say this, I don't mind it if they come face to face, but if they have a prolonged lightsaber fight, that would kind of not sit with me well because i think their very first fight should happen at bespin that's why darth vader kicks luke's butt <laughs> so bad in that uh, fight and maybe they'll just have like one quick blow and something will happen where luke has to run away or vader gets distracted we'll see how it plays out like you said but if they don't have a prolonged fight and they just see each other i'm cool with that i'm, uh, I'm kind of just let down that our back steakhouse is, <laughs> is in australia it's okay dane it'll get better Time will heal all wounds. Well, I you know suppose what? it's just like Taco Bell. So I thought of another band from Australia that I like, but they're not necessarily big anymore. But remember the band Silverchair for like '95, like early mid '90s. What song did they sing? The name sounds familiar. Like the biggest hit was Tomorrow. Their album was called Frog Stomp. They, they're. Is it, is that the band with the guy with the blonde hair? Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. 
then they kind of they were like a hard like rock like a grunge type band of their first three albums and they kind of went more soft and poppy and it was like eh, i didn't really <laughs> like their later stuff but the first few albums are really good though oh i see so there's two <laughs> there's got to be more though i mean more than two no i'm gonna do a search real quick <laughs> i'm just gonna type in australian bands australian bands, bands from australia okay so we got acdc's listed on here yeah. In excess, I've heard of them. Oh, in excess, yeah. Uh, there's Men at Work, Cold <laughs> Chisel, <laughs> Little River Band. There's Silverchair, Jet, The Vines. The Vines, their first album was really good, but after that, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Jet is from Australia. Yeah. The oh. BGs, Wolf Mother, Crowded House. I know they're a big band from like the early '90s. I've never heard of them. Crowded House. Did you say? Yeah. You probably have heard the song before. There's a... See, I don't know the title. It might be called Don't Dream It's Over or Hey Now. One of these, that was like the main lyrics of the song. But... Oh. The Go-Betweens, The Angels, The John Butler Trio, Parkway Drive. <laughs> okay, now we get to bands I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like the biggest one with ACDC. I guess so. I mean, I thought there was more... What about uh, movie stars from Australia? Australian Hugh movies. Jackman. Yeah, he's definitely gotta be the biggest right now. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, he's from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately for all Australians. <laughs> uh, oh, the the girl from um. Star Trek, Into Darkness. Carol Marcus, she's Australian. Okay. Uh, there's got to be. <laughs> well, we thought of more actors than uh, bands. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I guess we got uh, Russell Crowe. Oh yeah, Russell Crowe. I'm looking at a list right now. Kate Blanchett, <laughs> Hugo Weaving, oh, yeah. Eric Bana. Uh, Heath Ledger. Could... <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, now we now we made ourselves look real stupid. Mike was probably screaming at his <laughs> computer. Oh man. Anybody else that we've missed that's huge? Uh, this guy Piers, you know, that's really huge though. Who? Kate. I said Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Egerton, Uncle Owen from episode two and three. He's Australian? Yep. I would have never thought that. Well, since I've only mainly seen him in uh, <laughs> episodes two or three, he doesn't have that many lines. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen him in a few other movies, and he has the American accent. So. Chris Hemsworth. He's from oh, yeah. He, he's Australian? Yeah, well, according to this list. <laughs> yeah. What about um. Sam Neill? Is he Australian? I don't. So far, he's not on this list. Oh. No, I think he's English, though. Oh, he's English. I no. think, I'm pretty sure. So, those are the biggest ones on this list. Any like uh, ones that you recognize that that I didn't know were Australian? Yeah. Uh, not necessarily where I didn't know, but ones that I forgot really. Oh. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, we like educated ourselves on Australian bands and actors. 
How could we miss Heath Ledger? I'll just edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, th- thanks, Mike, for your um, for your email. We always uh, are so- sorry. Thanks, Zodiac, for uh, reading. <laughs> I mean, sending an email so that we could read so that uh, you could educate us on the ways of Australia. <laughs> Because obviously we don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I know. We didn't even know Heath Ledger was Australian until. Uh, bunch of morons we are. <laughs> I know. I feel embarrassed. Now. I think we should just stop this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so thank you everybody for uh, sending in emails. We always enjoy reading them, and like I say all the time, it's you know if it wasn't for those emails, this podcast would be. A bore for me, so thanks. <laughs> but now we can move on to our comic book reviews. And um, wait, before spoilers, we do, there's going to be a lot of spoilers. Before we forget, Corbin sent in his email. We got uh, a tweet from Corbin. I there's one he tweeted a few weeks, well, not too long after our last episode, where I said, yeah. you know what, this might be the highlight of the tweets for Corbin on our next episode. Do you, um, do you have it in front of you? I'm going to get it up right now. Okay. Um, well, Corbin says, why can't we all just be happy for each other and get along like Price is Right contestants? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, I got it right here. Oh, you got it? <laughs> okay. Got bullied by a group of 12-year-olds and was this close to punching him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> He said he's at a skating rink. <laughs> that I tweeted, like, yeah, I think we found our highlights for our next episode. And then he goes, I've never been so mad in my life. <laughs> I'm curious to hear that story. <laughs> to be at a skating rink and 12-year-olds where that made you want to punch him in the face. Oh, and, and Corbin uh, retweeted IGN's tweet of the KFC hot dog. Oh, <laughs> did you see a picture of it? Oh, that doesn't look good. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't it look awful? <laughs> it doesn't look good. I'll, t- I'll say that much. But what does Corbin say about it, though? Or does he, he, doesn't, he, no, he doesn't say anything. Okay, Corbin, is that something you're going to eat? <laughs> Maybe you should eat it and tell us what it's like. Yes. <laughs> Give us your review of that, please. <laughs> but then again, if he eats it, I'm not sure he'll survive. So maybe he should. <laughs> um... Oh. <laughs> looking at it again makes me sick yeah it doesn't look too good I mean <laughs> it, it looks just too much it, yeah, it just looks like it's too much but... too much crap <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, I guess that's it uh, well, yeah between his skating ring fiasco and the retweeting that uh, Taco Bell, I mean the Kentucky Fried Chicken Hot Dog, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be hard to top those ones. Yep, so with that, we can move on to our comic book review. So, uh, this, com- this comic book section has a lot of spoilers, so if you haven't read your books, you might want to come back to this spot later, but um, for this week, we're covering Arkham Knight... This week. <laughs> this episode, we're, co- we're covering Arkham Manor number four, Batman and Robin, Robin number 38 and Batman number 38. So with that, our rating scale for this episode is going to be uh, 
actors that are from Australia that are pretty obvious that we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's see if I can remember that phrasing. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Arkham Manor number four. Um, this series, unfortunately, is starting to slip for me. <laughs> the third issue was like, okay, but not as good as the first two. Now this one, I just really flat out didn't like. <laughs> There's only two issues left, so hopefully it can pull itself back together for the last two. But this one is basically, because the last issue ended was uh, Joker creating uh, a Clayface version of himself. For, uh, it's pretty much a clay face that is white and has the Joker grin all over him. And he's terrorizing the inmates in Arkham. And Batman, still undercover, has to try and stop him. And that's pretty much the thrust of this whole issue, really. And Batman teams up with Mr. Freeze to try to get, get his like freezing equipment to freeze this new clay face. But I gotta say, besides the issue just being really generic and kind of boring, I really, really do not like this interpretation of Mr. Freeze. That's uh, I know right now I have to say that his origin story in the New 52 is awesome, but I don't have to say he's awesome in this comic because, man, they're treating him like comic relief, and it just does not fit the character. Him and that robotic transmitter ball that he communicates with is played for laughs, and it's not funny. Then when Batman comes to ask for his help, he has these one-liners and jokes. This does not fit the characters. Like, no, this isn't Mr. Freeze at all. Uh, I really just don't like reading him, this version of the character in here. So, what him and after Batman and him stop that Clayface, uh, Batman decides to let Freeze go because, like, I'll worry about him later. I got to stop this murderer from killing more inmates in Arkham. But Mr. Freeze decides to stay in there because he has nowhere to go. And Bruce is like, okay, whatever. And then. Basically, this whole issue, like I said, them dealing with that clayface, and then Batman goes to Jeremiah Arkham uh, to, in his office to come, as Batman finally, no longer being out of the cover, and he tells Arkham that he was supposed to be the next target for the killer, and he goes after him through the ceiling because Batman knows who he is, but it's not being revealed to us just yet, and that's where the issue ends. So it's cool that we finally got uh, Bruce uh, acting as Batman now in Arkham Manor, because while it was cool in the first few issues to see him undercover. After what happened in this issue, I was like, okay, I'm ready for him to become Batman and stop interacting with this version of Mr. Freeze. So, and there, it's like, the thing about this issue in particular, a little bit with the series, but not to the extent of this issue, is that characters being played up for laughs in certain moments that just don't work. Because there's a moment where Bruce goes to the Batcave to get in his suit. And this still takes place on the Batman Eternal timeline. So he walks by Hush. And Hush is saying like, certain things that are trying to be funny but not really funny. And then Alfred, too, like, trying to taunt Hush, whereas like, he's going to have this like great turkey dinner out for Bruce, but Batman can't eat it. So Alfred's like, okay, I'm just going to leave it here and torture uh, Hush with it while he eats his like, generic like, ready-to-cook packet meals or <laughs> some fast food like junk thing. But it, like I said, stuff like that that's played up for last it just doesn't hit the mark. So this issue, yeah, didn't really enjoy it. So I'm going to give it two out of five Australian actors, or actors who were Australian that was so obvious, but we still didn't know it. <laughs> so not too many on this issue. But we're going to move on to Batman and Robin number 38. And this is the one where we're finally going to see Damien with his superpowers. And going into it, I was curious to see how it was going to work and just how <laughs> Batman and Damien with basically Superman Damien is going to play out. And after reading this issue, I have to say I am definitely uh, happy the way it turned out because 
it was just a fun read. I really liked seeing this version of Damien. And right off the bat, it just opens with this great sequence where Damien is just sitting on uh, Bruce's, uh, like the mantle of his bed, and he's just trying to wake him up. He even like lifts his eyelid <laughs> to see if he's still up to get because he really he wants to like, go out of patrol and test his new powers. And we get this sequence where Batman and uh, D- Damien as Robin, of course, taking out these robbers and these criminals. And when they start bringing their guns out, that's where Damien decides to display his uh, new superpowers, blocking the bullets, deflecting the bullets with his hand, and just walking up to the gunmen, squeezing the guns out, crushing them into his hands, and then flipping them on the car. Just like stuff you expect to see from Superman, but now it's Damien. So it was just a fun, to, fun sequence to read through. But the only uh, nitpick I'd really have with it was that it's kind of the same thing we get with Batman and Damien from before, where Damien's acting too brash and he needs to learn to control his powers and not and only use them when necessary which we kind of knew i mean this is on a whole nother level with superpowers but this is the same argument batman and damien have had before where he kind of overdoes things and needs to hold back so while it was in a different context with superpowers it was still something we've seen before and with him first being brought back to life again i was kind of hoping for a little more like a different interaction between them I get it that it works with the story. Batman would do that with a kid who has superpowers, but just from reading it in previous stories and issues, I thought it would have been nice to have something a little different. But um, there's also another... There's just like fun little sequences in this issue that I really like. There's another one where Damien's having a nightmare where he's being tormented by like the bodies of Ra's al Ghul and Talia and then those different like versions of his clones that didn't turn out well that were all like disfigured. And so he wakes up from that nightmare. You see this panel where he just like floating in the sky. And then the next thing you see Alfred sipping, sipping a cup of tea. But then you see Damien has like went through the ceiling up into Alfred's room. And Alfred's just all calm saying like, can't sleep, Master Damien? Like, would you like some hot chocolate? And Damien's like, oh, yes, please. It's <laughs> just a real funny sequence. How calm Alfred is with Damien still trying to adjust with his new powers. So when Damien has that nightmare, the rest of the issue is about him kind of going back to he's like, needs to think things for himself as far as like his origin, how he came to be and what Talia did to him with all those clones. So what he decides to do is to go back to where he was born and just destroy that whole laboratory. But then that, that wasn't enough. He needs to go to find his other clones as he's calling them his brothers here, because technically they are his brothers, despite how uh, disfigured and failed experiments they are. So he goes to Atlantis because he knows uh, Aquaman helped Bruce uh, during that time period when he was looking for him. So he asks, where those remaining clones are at, and Aquaman's kept them in Atlantis, and he said Damien can take them. This is kind of a touching moment in the comic where you would think that early Damien would probably just dispose of these clones for just even being alive and just like a perverted like existence of himself in these versions of the clones. But instead of doing that, instead of just killing them off, he takes them to an island and just frees them. He says, uh, I'm not going to hurt you, and you guys won't hear, hurt me. He says, you're me and I'm you. So just a totally different Damien than what we've known early on, how his personality can be. So I did like that moment where he just lets these disfigured clones of himself just out open into this deserted island to live their lives and not just be trapped in containment bubbles. So it was a good issue. It was a fun issue with Damien with his powers, and then it had some heartfelt moments in there too. So I'm going to give this one three out of five actors that were obviously Australian, but we did have no idea that they are. <laughs> Okay, the big one, Batman number thirty-eight. Boy, oh, I thought Finch. you were gonna say um, David Finch is the Dark Knight. <laughs> yes, I made a comeback for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> now, Batman Endgame Part Four. Man, I'm just gonna say right here, Scott Snyder's doing some awesome 
things with the Joker right here. But yet, I say it's awesome, but potentially it can be something that can be up to debate as far as if it's really good for the character or not. But what this, it just makes it great that it's something new to the character that's making you think. And it's just a typical Joker story. Well, I shouldn't say typical Joker story, but a story you would expect the Joker to be in. And that just adds a whole new layer to him. And I just love it. So this issue begins with Batman uh, going to get Jim Gordon because the last issue ended with Jim shooting Joker, but then Joker was still alive, was about to attack Gordon. So Batman and the kid Duke, who we saved from uh, being killed when Joker was trying to reenact the Wayne murders. And here's another thing I just totally missed in the last issue Duke was in. He was actually the kid from Zero Year that held Bruce um, when Bruce was uh, they had needed shelter and they took him in when he was after that whole explosion that happened when fighting uh, Doctor Death, I believe. So that's a good callback to Zero Year. I didn't even pick up on that the first time. So Bruce and Duke reach Gordon, who has an axe in his chest, and it's like, like, oh, man, how's he gonna get out of this one? <laughs> but what happens is he kind of gets that Joker grin and he starts to turn on him and. He grabs that axe to attack Batman and Duke, but uh, Julia is there to stop him and just adds more layers to like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> like, what's Joker really doing? So Batman has takes uh, has Julia take Duke to the cave to a safe spot while he's going to try to find the source of this problem and this virus, the person who's responsible for it. So um, a lot of this issue is him like talking through Dick over an intercom. There's a lot of technical and like science stuff that uh, Scott Snyder is trying to tell here to make this story with the Joker work. So there's a lot of explanation there where it can be a lot of dialogue to go through as you're reading the issue, but there's still some critical sequence as Batman's talking to Dick, making his way through this mob, even fights some uh, military people who are infected with the virus with a tank that Batman's able to take over and escape in. But here's the thrust of this issue because... Uh, once we get some more explanations as far as what's in this virus and what it does to people, it gets revealed that um, who was working on this uh, type of virus with the Joker. And it's someone named uh, Paul Decker, who might not sound familiar, but <laughs> is actually the villain Crazy Quilt. Yes, Scott, oh. Scott Snyder has brought Crazy Quilt to the story. <laughs> and boy, does it work. <laughs> you thought he was all cheesy in that typical villain who would only be even like the campy <laughs> era Batman but Snyder pulls it off here because he made him a doctor who dealt with uh, s- soft tissue and so Joker went to him to develop this serum for this virus and once we see him he's just like deranged psychopath he's like this crazy doctor and he he's even wearing a quilt that's like not the costume that we see but it's in that same vein where there's different colors on there you just know it's crazy quote when you look at it it's just another awesome take on a character that scott snyder is doing that you wouldn't expect to be (laughs) this way Uh, it was just a great interpretation of him but it turns out what he's telling bruce or batman is that joker that whole thing where the last few issues we see he's like in these old time pictures that just make them look like he survived for a long time and crazy quilt is actually believing this telling him he's like there's three different type of people that we know are immortal. There's Vandal Savage, who uh, got his powers in long life from that asteroid that came on the Earth. Then he mentions Ra's al Ghul and the Lazarus Pits. And then he goes, there's a third one, and he calls him the Pale Man, like the one who laughs at us. And like he was even be here before Gotham even rose. So it's just painting this new theory that the Joker is in the same name as Ra's al Ghul and Vandal Savage. And like what's keeping him alive is either a variation of the Lazarus Pit or that meteor from Vandal Savage encountered, or it's like it could be an aspect of that or something new that Joker is a third part of. 
it's just a fascinating theory to think about that Joker is possibly like is an immortal on the same vein as Rachel Ghoul and Vandal Savage. And like I said, who knows if it ends up being true? And if it is true, I'm sure it's going to cause a debate amongst fans if they really like that idea or not. But just that it's just very intriguing to even think about that. It just adds a whole new layer to the character and just his creepiness factor to him that he's been alive this long and doing things behind the scenes throughout time. It's, it's like I said, it's just a fascinating idea to think of. And just like I said, even if it's true or not, just the idea that it's a possibility in the story that Scott Snyder is telling is I think is genius. Something we've never really thought about the Joker. And it's just cool to get this new possible part of his life into the story. So as Crazy Quilt's telling Batman this, he's he's like, uh, he crashed, I'm trying to remember how he actually, this happened, but oh, that's it. He tried to shoot Batman, but uh, Batman was able to distract him or uh, after he shot and pushed him out a window, but Batman's holding on to him through his quilt, no less. <laughs> but he decides to take this serum that Joker gave him to be like the rest of the people. But as it turns out, it's a serum that while it's revealed, because Batman thinks uh, Crazy Quilt created the serum in like league with the Joker toxin to give it to the Joker, which is how Joker survived his encounter with Gordon, even though he got shot, which plays into his whole immortality thing. But Crazy Quilt says to Batman, no, what Joker's blood is the key component to this new virus that's going on. I just helped with it a little bit. It's mainly what's in the Joker's blood. And Batman's like, no, this can't be happening. Like, it's not true. Like, there has to be some other explanation for this. So Crazy Quilt takes that serum and it ends up killing him because all these people infected with it, while it looks like they're just crazy with Joker toxin, they will end up dying. But what's what kills them is in Joker's blood, which makes them survive. So, yeah, man, it's just crazy what's going on. Just in this point, I was thinking, man, I just love what he's doing with the Joker. But how this issue ends is just like another awesome moment. Just kind of like how the first part was with Superman revealing to be controlled by the Joker. Because everyone, Dick's asking Batman, like, what's next? Like, what are we going to do? Batman's like, I have no plan. I really don't know what I what's next. Then he goes, uh, it's like, this can't end this way. There's, I have to do something very desperate. So he says, like, Dick asks him, what are you going to do? He goes, something I never thought. He turns the page. Next thing you see, Batman's in the Court of Owls lair. And he says, all right, let's talk about history. So the fact that he has to go to the Court of Owls to verify if what Joker being an immortal is true, I, uh, <laughs> it was just awesome. It kind of took me by surprise. I'm like, oh, man, this is a great way to end the issue on a awesome cliffhanger with Batman having to resort to going to the Court of Vows after everything we know they put him through through the first story arc in the Court of Vows run. It's just a really great twist and a way to show how desperate Batman is and just how much Joker really is making this an endgame. So yeah, it was awesome. And the backup too, we get another story from one of the inmates that uh, Joker's making uh, them tell the story to the this Arkham doctor. This one was okay. It wasn't really the best. It was about this guy who was training with the military, but he ends thinking it's a whole conspiracy that he was being trained to be an army of Batman and that he encountered the Joker there and the Joker is saying, oh, I'm part of the conspiracy to make the Batman better and all this. So it was one that really didn't stick out to me out of the rest, but it didn't hurt the overall issue at all. That's for sure. So Endgame Part 4, another solid issue. Like I said, the only minor nitpick I might have had with it was that it got a little too where it needed to explain certain things like in a scientific way. But, I mean, Scott Snyder had to do it to try to make it as believable as possible. But, yeah, what he's doing with the Joker here and then how he ended it with the Court of Owls, it's just so awesome. So I'm going to give it four and a half out of five actors who are obviously Australian, but we didn't know about it. So 
just can't wait to find out what's happened next in these issues. And thankfully it won't be too long because it's only six parts. So yeah, (laughs) this is shaping up to be one of Scott Snyder's best. I think he's doing amazing work on this thing. I haven't, I haven't heard you that, uh, excited in a long time yeah. <laughs> probably since the batman beyond stuff from kyle higgins <laughs> yeah. there's only one negative about it though because in interviews scott snyder is saying this will be the last joker story i'll ever write so i mean we'll know <laughs> we'll see if that ends up being true but at least for probably a while not. this is yeah. going to be it for a while so but he, what he's doing here he just make him makes him want more from it but at the same yeah. time it's like maybe it's best that we get small doses of this so it doesn't get like oversaturated with Joker stories and they end up not being as good. So, ah, oh, man, just so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a good, uh, high note to end this podcast. Yeah. yeah. It's not like, like you said, we're reviewing David Finch's dark Knight <laughs> ending it on a bad note. <laughs> uh, yeah, just go over to the Batman universe.net. Uh, check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Batman universe or on Twitter. Twitter handles at Batman Universe and our Twitter handle Twitter handle is at Batfans27. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. Uh, Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311. Ah, I thought you were gonna be good at <laughs> safety eleven. <laughs> and my my Twitter handle is at Dane says banana. And you can also find us on iTunes and you can rate and review us. And you can rate and review all the other Batman Universe podcasts. And you find all those on iTunes. So please do that. And if you if you want to send us an email, you can send us an email at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. Or you can check out our dead Facebook page <laughs> at facebook.com slash batfanspodcast. I mean, it's like a ghost town over there. If it wasn't for Rob, yeah, <laughs> it would be. Um, so with that... Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back here in two weeks doing this all over again for you. And uh, we love doing this for you. So uh, we love you. And just remember, if you're feeling alone, Tim and I love you. Right, Tim? As always. You can always count on As always. So don't feel alone because Tim and I love you. So with that, we'll see you guys later, everybody. Bye. So long. Farewell. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that was coming. <laughs>